tell all the truth, but tell it slant, says Emily Dickinson. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. That is to say, if you have a truth to tell, come at it from the side. Bend it like Beckham. Sliders are more interesting than fastballs. So that's the way Jesus tells his truths with stories, including this one from Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he feasted sumptuously. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was being tormented. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And the rich man called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so. And the rich man said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they'll not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, for if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So you've heard the gospel two ways here, sung and spoken, and I hope you get the drift. Money and destiny are related. What we do with our money here determines where we will spend eternity there or there as the case may be. Earthly habits determine heavenly habitations. That in Tersprecy is the point of Jesus' little story and the theme of this sermon. Do you still want to go along for the ride? There are two characters in this simple little story. One has a name and the other doesn't. But the one who hasn't been given a name has been given lots of money. And the Latin word for rich is dives. So tradition has for centuries called this parable Lazarus and dives. And to anglicize it, we might call it Lazarus and Richard. Get it? Richard? That's what tradition has been doing for centuries when it reads the Latin New Testament and gives this man the name Richard. His name is Rich. The second character is unexpectedly the hero of this story, sort of, so he gets a name. In fact, he's the only character in all of Jesus' parables who gets a proper name. And his name is Lazarus, which is Hebrew for the one whom God helps. Lazarus is actually the Greek form of the Hebrew name Eliezer, as in Eliezer Wiesel. Do you have uh, Lazarus department stores around here? 
People in Ohio and Pennsylvania would know this better. Lazarus Department Stores was founded by Simon Lazarus in 1851. The name Lazarus means the one whom God helps. And boy, did God ever help Simon Lazarus. Simon's grandson, Fred, turned that single department store in Columbus into a conglomerate by uniting with other well-known merchants like Filene's, Abraham and Strauss, and Bloomingdale's. They called it Federated Department Stores. And today, of course, the Lazarus stores are just as impoverished as their biblical namesake. The Lazarus stores, like their parabolic predecessor, have fallen on hard times. Today, all formerly Lazarus department stores are called Macy's, sort of like Marshall Fields, I guess. So Jesus tells us about a rich man, Dives in Latin, or Richard in English, who lives in opulent luxury. Perhaps he lives down the street on Sheraton Road. Or, more pointedly, perhaps I am he. Now, I don't consider myself to be a rich man, but Jesus would. Even the most modest of us in the 21st century live richer than kings in Jesus' day. To snap an Instagram of Dives, or Richard, Jesus in his story, gives us two small details. He tells us what Richard wore, and he tells us what Richard ate. He was, says Jesus, dressed in purple and fine linen, and he feasted sumptuously. He feasted sumptuously against the stone pillars of the gate at his estate sits a miserable beggar who may not be gainfully employed, but at least he knows where to drag his sorry bones to catch the quarters from the rich who pass by this cool estate. In contrast to Richard's, Richard's lavish threads, Lazarus's limbs are clothed only with disgusting open sores. A few of our Kenilworth Union families have been sponsoring a refugee through Refugee One. The matriarch of this small clan of three children and a niece is named Allure. Isn't that a beautiful name? When I hear her name, I think of a sweet fragrance. Allure is from South Sudan, and she has been in refugee camps for 15 years, since she was 15 years old herself. All three of her children were born in the camps. Now, in the early 2000s, when Allure would arrived at these refugee camps, there was, there is, in a place even as destitute as that, a class system. There are the haves and the have-nots. There are layers and levels of tragedy. In those places, the levels are, according to the New York Times, bad, worse, hellish, and unthinkable. And the longer you've been there, the better off you are, of course. They've started schools and businesses. They're like little cities. But the new arrivals haven't learned how to be refugees yet. And the long-time refugees have a term of derision for the newcomers. The long-time refugees call the newcomers Abu Jangwer. If you know Arabic better than I do, you can correct my pronunciation, but I think it's Abu Jangwer, which means used clothing. They are literally the rag people because that's what they use 
to shelter themselves with. They make their tents out of used clothes. They haven't been given the plastic sheeting yet. They're so new. You know your own rag people. You leap over them on the sidewalk on your way to work. Lazarus earns his living by the by catching the quarters Richard tosses his way when the rich man is in a generous mood, or by dumpster diving with the junkyard dogs in the rich man's admittedly opulent garbage. Now, we don't know why Lazarus was poor. Maybe he was lazy or indigent. Maybe he hit the Jack Daniels a little too hard. Or maybe his disgusting skin disease or whatever kept him from getting a decent job. Or maybe his mind worked a little differently like many of the panhandlers you see on the streets of any big city in America. We don't know why Lazarus was poor. I guess it didn't matter to Jesus. Nor do we know why Dives so resolutely ignored the beggar at his feet. Jesus doesn't tell us that Dives was a bad man or a greedy man or a selfish man. Jesus doesn't tell us why Dives ignored Lazarus. I guess that didn't matter to him either. In any case, death, that great leveler, comes for both men. And it's at this point in the story that Jesus gives us one of his little patented plot twists. If in this life, Dives is on top and Lazarus on the bottom, in the next, the whole thing is reversed, which would have completely baffled Jesus' first audience, right? Because they, like we, have the mistaken notion that people deserve their lot in life. If Dives is rich, it must mean that God likes him. And if Lazarus is poor, it means that either God is punishing him for his indigence or his stupidity or his perversity or simply that God had it in for him for no good reason at all. And if God has it in for you in this life, there's no reason to think that God will change God's mind in the next life. And the Christian church has never really outgrown this attitude towards the poor, right? An article in the New York Times on Friday suggested that many British citizens voted to leave the European Union because they were inspired by Switzerland, which is doing just fine without the European Union. Switzerland, of course, has never been a member of the European Union, even though they're surrounded by a thicket of EU countries, and they're doing just great. It's called the Swiss miracle, right? Per capita income in Switzerland is $80,000, which is almost twice the $43,000 in the UK and a third more than the $55,000 in the United States. But, in fact, the European Union has nothing to do with Swiss prosperity. The Swiss are so prosperous because the early Swiss were Presbyterians. The early Swiss were descendants of John Calvin, the mayor and pastor of Geneva. Now, the Swiss are known for three things. Banks, watches, and punctual trains. Runs like a switch. Swiss watch has always been a huge compliment. They learned that from Calvin. Now, they didn't learn this from Calvin. It was the early Calvinist who taught them this. But they thought that your destiny here in this world was related to your destiny beyond the life. It meant God, earthly prosperity was a sure indication that you were among the elect. It meant God liked you. It's why Calvinists have always been the best capitalists. 
They worked so hard to prove to themselves and to their neighbors that they are numbered among the elect. It's called the Protestant work ethic. Money determines destiny. The early Calvinists were right about that. But they got the precise relationship wrong. It's not proportional, it's inverse. According to Jesus' little story, I'm sorry to tell you this, but that's what it says. Now, there's nothing wrong with being rich. Thyves isn't in hell because he's rich. He's in hell because he's blind. He did not recognize the need under his own nose. He does not care about the rag people. Wealth, you see, is a powerful resource for good and for ill. You can use your money to build walls or you can use it to build bridges. Those Kenilworth Union families that are taking care of Allure, they're building bridges. What about you? So, in hell, Dives calls out across the yawning chasm between heaven and hell, says, Father Abraham, send that what's-his-name, that beggar, Lazarus, I guess, to cool my parched throat. Father Abraham says, sorry, no can do. Lazarus says, or Dives says, Father Abraham, then send Lazarus to visit my brothers. I have five of them, and I don't want them to end up like myself. Send Lazarus to warn my brothers. Father Abraham says, sorry, Charlie, too late. This happened a long time ago, but it happened. I'm capable of exaggerating stories. I took a course in seminary called Telling True Stories Falsely with Fanciful Exaggeration. I'm capable of that, but, but everything I'm telling you is true. I was visiting old friends in Philadelphia, and I was walking down Walnut Street in the center of the city, Tony Shopping District. And I was accosted by one of the numerous homeless folk who wander the streets of every big city in America. He was wearing a full three-piece suit. But this suit had not been cleaned since the 80s, and it hadn't been in style since the Nixon administration. Literally, it was lime green and large check. I had one of these suits myself when I was 17, but that was in 1974. I mean, he had a tie that was so loud that when you shut it up in a closet, a hush seemed to fall over the room. And on his head, he was wearing a contraption made out of aluminum foil. It's like those rabbit ears you used to put on your TV before cable. Looked like he was trying to receive radio signals from distant planets. He had a full fur coat on, even though this was the 6th of July and it was 92 degrees. He was sweating. He was a rag person. He asked me for some spare change. And I said, I'm sorry, sir, I don't give cash to strangers. And he said, well, thanks for your attention. Have a nice day. And as he walked away, I noticed that as with many of these homeless folk on the city streets, he was carrying all of his belongings in a department store shopping bag. Just one word, three-inch high gold letters. Maybe you can guess what it said. So 
maybe he would be aware that most of his wealthy patrons would make the biblical connection, right? But he didn't appear as if he were capable of shrewd calculation like that. His shopping bag said his name was Lazarus. And I think he might have been a visitor from the bosom of Abraham. A while after that experience, I was walking down East 67th Street in Manhattan and found a $100 bill lying on the sidewalk. I scrupled for a moment about the legal and ethical issues. What do you do when you found something that somebody else has obviously lost? I looked around to make sure I wasn't on one of those reality shows that try to catch people doing, <laughs> doing bad things, but I didn't see Charlie Rose or Leslie Stahl, so I slipped the $100 bill into my wallet. And I walked around with it for a few days, and then I finally slipped it into the paper cup of one of those homeless guys you see on the subway. So the good news is sometimes you get a second chance. And so did another rich man from a famous parable. Have you ever noticed that Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol is entirely inspired by Luke's parable? It's about a rich man who ignores the need at his feet and needs a warning from beyond the grave. But in Dickens' case, of course, it has a happy ending because he gets his warning. Says Scrooge to the ghost and change, but you were always such a great man of business, Jacob. Business, thunders Marley. Business, mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. I'd forgotten that Charles Dickens knew his Bible so well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.